We're going to be in Matthew chapter number 22 this morning, as well as Luke chapter number 14. So Matthew 22 and Luke chapter number 14. If you want to turn to both of those passages, uh, we will be looking at both of them this morning. We'll be looking at the parable of the wedding banquet. The parable of the wedding banquet, we've been looking at several different parables and just going through the Word of God. And lately we've been looking at parables that deal with with salvation. And so this morning we're going to be looking at the parable of the wedding banquet. And I've subtitled this message, if you give it, a, if you wanted to give it a second title, and I've subtitled it, Three Reasons Why People Will Miss Heaven. Three Reasons Why People Will Miss Heaven. Here in Matthew 22, as well as in Luke 14, we find the parable of the wedding banquet. Now if you go and study commentaries on this, some will say that these are two different parables. Some will say that they're the same parable. Regardless of that, uh, they both deal with the same subject. So we can definitely look at them together this morning. I feel that they are the same parable. We look in uh, here in both of these places though and we find this parable of the wedding banquet. In these parables, the illustration is quite clear. It's pretty easy to understand what the Lord is illustrating uh, with this parable. We see that a king has prepared a banquet for his son. Uh, he's in invited many guests to come and take part of the wedding supper. So it's a pretty simple story. And in both accounts, we learn of individuals who refuse to come to the banquet. And because they refuse to come to the banquet, others are invited on their behalf or in their place. In Matthew, we have a more detailed account of the parable with a longer version, where in Luke, we have a shorter version, but there is great focus given to those who give reasons for not responding to the invitation. So this morning, we're going to take our text from the account found here in Matthew, but as we go through the the message will be going over and looking at the account in Luke as well. So Matthew chapter number 22, we'll begin reading in verse 1 and we'll read down through verse number 14. The Bible says, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. There's an interesting phrase right here. You might want to circle that word would in your Bible. If you mark in your Bible, it said they would not come. Not that they could not come. Remember that any time someone dies and goes to spend eternity in hell, it was their choice. It was not that they could not come, but it was that they would not come. In verse number 4 it says again, He sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murders and burned up uh, their cities. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. 
So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you'll remember this next phrase from the parable we looked at last week. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you, as I said earlier, for the privilege of being in your house. And Lord, Lord, I don't take for granted the family of God. And Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, for this group of brothers and sisters in Christ that, Lord, faithfully gather together. And Lord, we worship together and we, we, we strengthen one another and we encourage one another. And Lord, I enjoy being in your house. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that we're able to come together. And Lord, we're able to encourage our spirit it's through, through the message of the songs and, uh, Lord, through the, through the worship and through the ministry of those that prepare and minister to us. And, Father, it's good to be in your house. And, Lord, I've been blessed already today. And, Father, I thank you for it. Now, Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, Lord, where you, while you were here on earth, taught this parable, Lord, concerning reasons why people will miss the invitation to accept salvation. Father, I pray that you allow the message to be clear. I pray, dear Lord, that it be understandable. I pray, dear Lord, if there's any here, Lord, that do not know you as Savior, they've never put their trust in you, that, Father, you will use this message to show them their need to put their trust in you. Lord, if there are some here, oh, Lord, who are not sure of their eternity, they are not sure if they've ever truly trusted in you. Father, I pray you use this message, oh, Lord, to show them the importance of accepting you as Savior, and, Lord, the possibility of knowing for sure that they can know that they will spend eternity in heaven. Father, I pray that you just bless in the service this morning. I pray, dear Lord, that you bless in the children's uh, service going on downstairs. Bless those that are ministering to the children. I pray you work in their lives. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Here in this parable, we, we see two elements. There's two things we can see in this parable. Uh, uh, one, there is a prophetic application that can be made. Uh, uh, as I said last week, that some folks look at that parable and apply it to the Jews and Gentiles, but I said I didn't feel like it fit there. Uh, but this parable, the Jew and Gentile application does fit in that the Bible says that the gospel went to the Jew first uh, and then also to the Greek. We see here that the invitation went out, they refused, uh, and then the invitation was to taken to a different group. So we can see uh, that prophetic application uh, of this parable, but this parable also contains uh, a practical application uh, that we can make to the call of salvation that goes forth uh, to all men. In this parable, we see uh, an invitation. We see varying responses uh, to the invitation, uh, and we see judgment for those who refuse uh, the invitation. Last, in our last message, we looked, of course, at the labors in the vineyard. And at the close of the passage that we looked at last week, we saw the statement that Jesus made, for many are called, but few are chosen. We understood that this meant that while the call of salvation has been given to many, few will ever benefit from that invitation. 
Few will ever accept that invitation and there will be many who will miss heaven. I believe that this parable is given to explain that principle of why many are called but few accept the call. This parable helps explain why there are many who have heard the gospel but yet there are many who will fail to benefit from the gospel. The Bible says wide is the way that leadeth unto destruction and many there be that go in thereat but straight is the way that leadeth unto life everlasting and few there be that find it. And this passage of Scripture explains to us why there are few that find the narrow way. The invitation has gone out. It is proclaimed all across America. The gospel message is being proclaimed. It is because of the development of media and television and radio. The gospel message is being shared more and further and more effectively than it's ever been shared before but yet uh, there are many, many, many who will never accept the invitation. They will never accept uh, the invitation. Now there's many elements that we could consider in this parable. We could actually uh, take uh, several different directions in looking at this parable. But this morning the focus of our message is going to be on the responses to the invitation that resulted in in eternal judgment. The responses to the invitation that resulted in eternal punishment. The first response that we encounter in this passage of Scripture is that of those who refuse the gospel. The first one that we encounter as we look at this parable is those that refuse the gospel. If you would... You can look there in verse number 2 of chapter number 22. And the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. Now what is going on here is the king has prepared a meal to celebrate the wedding of his son. Now it was customary in that day to send out an invitation and let everyone know that that you want to come, that there will be a feast on this day. Uh, Michaela and Jake planning for their wedding. Uh, they send out a card that is called a send, uh, save the date, and then later they send out an invitation. I was like, why in the world we do that? It's like sending out two invitations. Well, Michaela says you've got to let them know that you're going to be inviting them, you see. And so the king, he would send out uh, uh, this invitation, and he would let everyone know that a meal is being prepared, and then when the meal was ready, when it was time to when it was time to gather together, he would send his servants out uh, to personally let everybody know, uh, hey, uh, the chicken's hot, brother C. Uh, it's time to dig in. Uh, it's time to come to the dinner. And so the servant would go and remind everyone uh, that had received the invitation that now it was time to come. Uh, and so all these people knew that the feast was being prepared. Uh, they knew that they had been invited to the feast. Uh, they all had time to make reservations on their calendar to be able to go to the feast. Uh, but once the feast is ready, the servants go out and the servants say, Come, for all things are now ready. And the Bible says 
that they would not come. They made light of it as if it were not important. One went to his farm and another to his merchandise. We see here an example of those who refuse the gospel. Here we see the first class of people who I believe miss heaven although they have heard the gospel. This is those who underestimate the importance of the gospel. They've heard the call. They know that there's a way of salvation. They know that the gospel has been provided. They know that Jesus died for their sin. They have heard the message, but they underestimate the importance of the message. They do not see it as being worth their time, and therefore they do not prioritize their response to the gospel, and thus they refuse the gospel on the basis that something else is more worthy of their attention and their energy. Now, if you would turn over to Luke chapter number 14, the account in Luke focuses on this very thing. The account in Luke focuses on the excuses that these folks made as to why they refused the gospel. So turn over to Luke chapter number 14, and we'll begin looking in verse number 16. Luke 14 and verse number 16, Then said he unto them, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. Now I want to show you three things here, three reasons that they felt that the gospel was unimportant. First of all, we see in verse number 18, it says that they with all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Now as we look at these examples, and many of you have probably heard some of these preached on before, a lot of times we will laugh at the frivolity of these excuses. I've bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. Unless they did things differently in that day than they do now, you didn't buy land before you had seen it. The Bible says in Proverbs 31 that a virtuous woman considereth a field and then buyeth it. You go look first. That's how you go about buying property. So many times we will laugh at the frivolity of these excuses. But I believe in this parable, Jesus is not speaking of a specific instance of a man buying property and needing to go to see it. I think he is making an overall application of a bigger thing that many times hinders people from accepting the gospel. And in this illustration, I believe that he is saying people refuse the gospel because of their possessions. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he said, one thing thou lackest, go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor and come, be my disciple. And he went away grieved for he had great possessions. I believe that many times people fail to accept the gospel because of their attachment to their earthly possessions and they are afraid that if they give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ that he is going to require something of them that would require them to give up their possessions. We put a lot of weight on what we own here on earth. I'm telling you, we really like our earthly possessions. 
And many times we'll hear of someone that gets born again and God begins to work on their heart and God begins to burden them to take the gospel to another country and so they sell everything they own and buy a mobile home and start traveling across the United States trying to raise money so they can go to a foreign land so they can preach the gospel and they live their entire life out never ever having all the things that we deem important. Many people say I am not willing to give up my possessions. This illustration said I bought a field. I can't come. I believe there are many people who refuse the gospel because they are attached to their possessions. You know what? The Lord does not require that every person give up everything that they own in order to serve Him. Matter of fact, the Lord lavishly blesses His children so that we have far more than we really ever could need. He pours out blessings on us abundantly. The Bible says, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will the Lord give into your bosom. So the Lord does not require that we give up possessions, but in order to accept Him, He does require that we be willing to give Him everything. All that I have, all that I am, all that I'll ever be absolutely belongs to you. Whenever people realize that they must commit their entire self to the Lord Jesus Christ, they bypass the invitation to the supper because their possessions are of more importance to them. The next thing we see in verse number 19, another reason why people refuse the gospel is because of their pursuits. In Luke 14 and verse 19 it said, And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. I believe that some deny the invitation because of their attachment to material possessions. I believe that some deny the invitation because of their focus on earthly pursuits. Back in the book of Matthew, the passage that we read, he said one went to his farm and another to his merchandise. One went back to the land that he had bought and another went to his merchandise. He went to his livelihood. We see here in this example a man that bought a piece of land, his possessions. We see a fellow that has his oxen. He is after his pursuits. This is a man that says, I have bought a new, a new piece of equipment. I have bought a new lawnmower for my landscaping business. I have bought this or I have bought that. That is going to advance me here on this earth and therefore I am unable to give myself to the things of the Lord because I'm afraid if I give myself to the things of the Lord my earthly pursuits are going to be neglected and I'll never be successful in this life therefore I'm going to say no to the invitation. We see that people reject the Lord because of their material possessions but there are people who reject the Lord because they are focused on their earthly pursuits. We could run all kinds of rabbit trails here. We could make all types of examples. But there are many, many ways where our earthly pursuits get in the way of accepting and believing and selling out to the gospel. There are those who say, I can't, I can't put my trust in the Lord because if I were to get saved... I can't work at this establishment. 
You do know that it's important that Christians work in places that uphold their testimony as a Christian. And there are some places that Christians should not work. You know that. There are some things that Christians should not have a part in. If I put my trust in the Lord, I'm going to have to quit serving at, uh, at this restaurant where we serve alcoholic beverages. I can't serve alcoholic beverages and be a Christian. I'm not able to put my trust in the Lord because it's going to get in the way of my earthly pursuits. Maybe there's someone who's climbing the ladder as a businessman. And the business comes to them and says, we can offer you all kind of promotions. We can do all kind of good things for you. But we'll need you to travel and we need you to be gone every Sunday. A Christian will say, nope. Church is more important. But many times people will say, I can't put my trust in the Lord because it's going to get in the way of this promotion. It's going to get in the way of this advancement. It's going to get in the way. Therefore, I can't put my trust in the Lord. We could go on and on, and we could make many, many, many examples, but there are many people who turn their back on the gospel because they're afraid it's going to get in the way of their earthly pursuits. Then we see the third example, and perhaps this guy had the most honest answer. Verse number 20, he said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. You know what? Many times whenever fellows marry wives, they do not anticipate the amount of commitment that is necessary in the marriage. And they're like, look, I'm in over my head. I can't come to the dinner. Maybe this is a legitimate answer. I feel like I've lost y'all. All right, there you're back. All right, this seems like a legitimate answer here. You know, I've married a wife and I cannot come, but again, Jesus is just making an example. He's just making an example to apply to a broader scope. And the broader scope is there are many people who reject the gospel because of other people. Many people reject the gospel because of others. What will they think of me? What will they say about me? What, what will their opinion of me be? Uh, I can't accept the gospel because uh, of other people in my life. Many people will reject the gospel because of people. They refuse the gospel. When we return back to the passage in Matthew, if you want to turn back over to Matthew, not only will we find those who refuse the gospel... But we also find that there are those who will miss heaven because they reject the gospel. In, there in verse number 5 it said, But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. And in verse number 6 it says, And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. First, we see those who refuse the gospel because they consider something else more important. It's not that they're opposed to the gospel, but something else has priority in their life. Therefore, they do not accept the gospel. But then we come to this group of people who reject the gospel. Uh, they turn their back against it. Uh, it says they took the servants who brought the message uh, and they entreated them spitefully. Uh, they slew them. Uh, they were entirely against them. Uh, they rejected the gospel. Uh, we look at this thing of rejection the gospel, and we see that some reject the gospel because of sin. Some will turn against the gospel and have animosity toward the gospel because of sin in their life. The Bible says in John 3 and verse number 19, and this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather 
than light. They reject the gospel because they love their sin. How is it that people fall so in love with sin? Well, you see, the devil is smart and all sin is based on normal, natural human desires. We all have a certain desires that need to be met, that God has designed ways within His law that they can be met. And the devil takes those desires and he exploits those desires and we feel that our needs are being met to a greater level and we become addicted to sin because it's satisfying the needs of this flesh. And then whenever we hear that by accepting Christ, one thing that we need to do is repent of that sinful lifestyle and that leaving what God had created for us and we say, no, no, no. I love my sin. Therefore, I will not accept the gospel. Whenever you meet someone like that, it is important that you help them to realize how dangerous and how deadly their sin is to them. But many people reject this because of their sin. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 12 says that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Some reject the gospel because of their love of their sin, but some reject the gospel because of their own self-righteousness. They reject the gospel because of their own self-righteousness. This was the case of the Pharisees. Uh, They felt they were good enough. Uh, They trusted in their own ability. They depended on their own adherence to their own idea of what it meant uh, to keep the law. Uh, And they felt that there was no need for them to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, because they were already uh, okay. Uh, Do you know that we find self-righteous people uh, both inside the church uh, and outside the church? Uh, There are folks inside the church who come to church, who read the Word of God, who give in the offering, but they do it because they feel that by doing it they are somehow earning their place in heaven and they are depending upon their own works and their own efforts and the things that they have done to secure my home in heaven. And whenever you are depending on your own self in any way to secure your home in heaven, you have become self-righteous and you are trampling underfoot the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how faithful you are. It doesn't matter how much scripture you can quote. It doesn't matter how much you give to the offering. If you are depending on yourself rather than the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will miss heaven. But not only are there self-righteous people inside the church, there are self-righteous people outside the church. There are those outside the church who feel that they are good enough that on judgment day, God is going to have to recognize their merit and He is going to have to allow them entrance into the kingdom of heaven because they have lived a moral life. They've never done any harm to anybody. Maybe they didn't go to church. Maybe they weren't part of an organized religion. Maybe they never had much use for the Word of God. But... They've been moral people, therefore God owes it to them to allow them into heaven. Let me tell you, there is only one way of salvation, and that is through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? No, you do not. But I'm telling you what, when you get born again and the Holy Spirit moves in on the inside of you, there is a desire in your heart to be around the people of God and to listen to the Word of God and to grow in the things of God. And if that is lacking in your life and you feel you are good enough without partaking in the things of God, you feel that you have lived a moral life that God owes you something, you will miss heaven. But many people reject the gospel because they feel that they are good enough. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 64 and verse number 6 that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Now that's not saying all our sin is as filthy rags. All our sin is as filthy rags. That's not what this is talking about. This says all our righteousness. Just for example, I'm here this morning. I'm preaching a message that I prepared following God's calling on my life. Doing the best that I can. Spent time in prayer, prep and praying that the Lord had blessed the service this morning. Doing the best that I can. But in comparison to the holiness of the God of heaven, this righteous act, if you want to call it that, that I'm doing this morning, is a filthy rag against the holy, spotless Lamb of God. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. So the very absolute best that you can do for the cause of Christ, if we put it up against the holiness of God and see if it measures up to get us into heaven, it's too dirty, it's too spotted, it's too unclean, and there is no way that it will ever merit heaven. Oh, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Psalms 14 verse 2 and 3 says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are those who see themselves as okay. They think that they are good enough. They feel that they do not need to repent and put their trust in the Savior. Therefore, when they hear a call to salvation, they reject the gospel. And dear friend, you will miss heaven if you reject the gospel. Jesus illustrates this in the end of the parable where he gives us the third reason people will miss heaven. Verse 8 down through the end of the chapter, we see that there are some who will miss heaven because they try to rewrite the gospel. They try to rewrite the gospel. This goes right along with what we were just talking about, those who depend on their self-righteousness. It says in verse number 8, Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out in the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. He saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Many are called and few are chosen. We look at the illustration that Jesus is using here and he said that a king made this feast. This was a royal wedding that was intended for royalty. But those that had been invited to come did not come. Therefore he sent his servants, he sent them to call the poor the lame, the blind. The Bible tells us in Luke that he told them to go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. He found those that were rejected. He found those that were outcast from society. He found those that had nothing to offer. And he said, come to the wedding. Come to the wedding. But it did not change the fact that the wedding was a royal event that had been set up for royal people. Therefore, this means that those that had been invited invited to the wedding were not qualified to attend the wedding. They did not have what it took to be an invited guest to this wedding. So somebody had to step in and intervene. Now in that culture, it was very customary that if a wealthy man had a feast that he would provide the garment that he wanted his guests to wear so that he could have a feast that portrayed a certain level of wealth. And so we see that the people have been invited and they're coming to this wedding but they're not able to provide the garment that is needed. They are not able to meet the qualifications but they've been invited to the wedding. So when they arrive, the master of the house, the king provides each one with a wedding garment. He says, here is a wedding garment. The servants are there here. here. Put on this wedding garment. Put this on. Boy, can you imagine getting inside there and here sitting at all the tables is the cripple and the lame and the blind and the beggar off of the street and they're all sitting around this table that's spread with more food than they've ever seen in their life and they all have on better clothes than they've ever worn in their life. They elbow each other and say, you ever expect to see me here? Look at me sitting at the king's table. Look at me wearing these fine clothes. You see, the king provided what they needed so that they would be fit to eat at the king's table. The king came in to welcome the guests to the dinner and sitting at the table was an individual who had refused the wedding garment. Apparently when he came to the door and the servant said, put this on, he said, I don't need that. And now as the king looked out across the tables set with all of the guests and everyone is wearing these royal garments, these clean garments uh, all through, sitting in the midst of the people uh, is an individual that sticks out uh, like a sore thumb. I remember I went to a pastor's conference. I think I was 15 or 16 years old and a pastor invited me to go to a conference. And of course, I, I never was a guy to wear suits. I just did not like suits. I, I still don't like suits, just so you know. As soon as I get home this afternoon, this will be coming off. Uh, I'll put something else on in its place. But uh, anyway, I don't like suits at all. And so I went to this conference with this other pastor. He asked Dad, okay, if I take John to this conference, he's like, sure, you can take John to the conference. So I go home and I pack my bag up with my best blue jeans and, uh, and polo shirts. And off I went to the preacher's conference. We got there late at night. I found me a bunk and went to sleep. The next morning we got church at 9 o'clock. I get up to get ready and I look around the room. It's like a dormitory. There's probably 100 preachers in there. And all of them have on the best suits you ever set your eyes on. And I look at my jeans and my polo, and I'm like, can I go home? 
All of a sudden, what I thought was the best thing to wear made me stick out like a sore thumb. It made it obvious that I was a country bumpkin, not to mention my knife on my side and these things, you know, that didn't help any. And the cowboy boots, they're like, who is this bumpkin? Who brought him in here? But I managed, I won my way through it with my blue jeans and cowboy boots and made some friends. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to own who you are, right? But uh, I stuck out like a sore thumb at that conference because I didn't have a suit to wear. This is what's going on here at this wedding dinner. This guy that thought he was okay, when he was sitting among all the other royal guests, it became very obvious that he was not okay. You remember when I said that we put our righteousness up against the righteousness of God? And while it looks good on its own, when we put the righteousness of God beside it, all of a sudden it becomes so evident how dirty it really is. This guy said, I'm all right. I'm not a beggar. I mean, sure, I've not, been, I've not had a job. Sure, folks in the community don't like me, but I'm okay. I, I dress nice enough. I don't dress as bad as he does. I don't stink like he does. I'm okay. I'll be all right. And he goes on into the dinner, but whenever he gets there, the king says, he don't have on a wedding garment. And the king said to him, why do you not have on a wedding garment? And the Bible says he was speechless. You know what? We can brag and flaunt on our own self a lot until we come face to face with the holiness of God. Then we really don't have no answer. I'm telling you, there's coming a day when there's a lot of people who are depending on their own righteousness, who are going to be standing at the judgment seat before a holy God, and he's going to say, why did you not accept the blood of my son? And they will be speechless. There will be no answer. We see here that this man came in he thought that he could enter the wedding without the garment. He wanted the blessing, but he wanted to reject the method. You know what? In the same way, the invitation to partake in the glories of heaven has been extended to each of us. But we're not able to enter on our own. Boy, I tell you what, this makes me want to shout. I'm like that poor pauper. I'm the lame, I'm the blind, I'm the beggar in the street. I've been invited to a wedding dinner, but I'm not qualified to enter. But the master of the feast says here is a wedding garment. You take and take this and you put this on and whenever you appear before the king, he won't see the dirty beggar on the street, but instead he'll see the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only will you be in the feast, you will be welcomed and recognized because you have put on the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin and I'm at the wedding feast a dirty, rotten unworthy fella who is standing before the creator of all earth. Why? Because I have on the wedding garment of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are some who are going to appear thinking I've been good enough. I don't need that wedding garment. Jesus is going to say to them, casting into the lake of fire. You say, but what about all the good things I did? What about all the things I did for God? What about all the money I gave? What about all... Depart from me, your worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You can't rewrite the gospel. There is one way of salvation and that that is through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any other way. And friend, you'll miss heaven. You say, Pastor John, that's unfair. 
If God hadn't given us such clear instructions on how to be saved, I would agree with you. But he gave us very clear instructions that salvation was by grace through faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you wind up in hell because you've trusted in your own self-righteousness, you wound up in hell because of pride and arrogance and a, and a determination that you didn't have to do it God's way, and therefore he is not unfair. You chose your own destiny. We see that there are those who will miss the heaven because they refuse the gospel. Something else is more important. They reject the gospel. They love their sin or they think they're good enough. There are those who will miss heaven because they try to rewrite the gospel. But you know what? In this parable, we also see those who accepted the wedding invitation heartily and sincerely. They put on the wedding garment and they're seated at the table. Brother Randy, I, I can't wait. Brother Ted, all of y'all, I can't wait till we're in heaven together. And I look over at you and I elbow you and say, look at me. <laughs> you imagine me being here. You imagine me sitting at this table. Uh, look at me, an old country bumpkin didn't even know to take a suit to the meeting. Uh, look at me, old hillbilly with an accent uh, that he can't get rid of. Look at me, uh, somebody that never was uh, able to do anything that the world thought was great. Uh, but look at me, uh, sitting at the king's table. Uh, look at me, uh, worshiping at the feet of my creator. Uh, look at me. And you know what? There won't be anything wrong with me rejoicing in the fact that I am there. Uh, and every one of y'all will be, look, but look at me, Pastor John. Look at me. And somebody else will say, but boy, don't you remember the life that I lived before I came to Christ? Can you imagine me? And boy, I'm telling you, on and on we'll go celebrating. Why? Because we accepted the invitation. We accepted the garment. And although we have nothing to offer, He has everything to offer. And we're rejoicing in the gift of eternal life. This morning, my question to you is, will you accept the wedding invitation. I just ended on a pretty high note celebrating in the fact of what I'm going to enjoy. But the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. And I believe that there are those who yet need to accept the invitation. I believe there are those who need to put aside their garments of self-righteousness and accept the robe of righteousness that's offered by the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe there are those who need to turn loose of their earthly possession and their earthly pursuits and turn fully 100% to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe there are those who need to accept the wedding invitation. You have been invited. Will you accept the invitation? I'm going to ask each of you to stand there where you are. Miss Debbie's going to make her way to the piano. If you're here this morning, the Lord's been dealing with your heart. I ask you to come and say, Lord, I want to take advantage of this invitation. I want to make sure, I want to make sure that I'm seated at the table. If the Lord spoke to your heart as Miss Debbie plays, you come.
Man, it's been good to be at the Lord's house, pray that message. Been a challenge to your heart, and if you've never accepted Christ, I pray it brings conviction on your heart. And you go home and you seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Well, boy, I tell you, it's always a blessing whenever we have folks that join the membership. They've joined the church, and we've got some folks that we're going to present this morning uh, that have expressed desire to become members of Marlbrook Baptist Church, and we just want to thank the Lord for each and every one of them. So, Miss Lori, if you would make your way up here to the front, Miss Lori Malcolm, uh, Chase and Rebecca, Sawyer and Asher, and then uh, Brother Hot Rod and Miss Lori. If y'all make your way up here to the front of the church, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it's glad to see folks that want to be part of the church. They want to join. They say, we're all in. We've accepted Christ, and now we are all in. And boy, i tell you what, we thank the Lord for each one of these. Uh, of course, uh, Miss Lori's been attending here for about seven months now. Uh, we all know Jeff. Uh, Jeff's been with us for a while. Miss Lori's Jeff's mother. Uh, She's been attending about seven months, and she shared her testimony with me. And boy, I'm telling you, what a testimony. Accepted the Lord around 11 years old. Uh, but the church she went to uh, didn't necessarily teach in baptism by immersion, but she, through reading the Word of God, said, I need to be baptized. So she went and found a preacher that would baptize her. And uh, boy, she's just been uh, serving the Lord and living for the Lord. She started attending here and just loves it. And she said, Pastor John, I want to be a part. And so we're thankful for Miss Lori uh, wanting to join on her testimony. Of course, Brother Chase uh, baptized him on Easter, uh, baptized Miss Rebecca a couple years ago, uh, but they never formally joined the church. And so they want to join the church. And of course, Sawyer and Asher, they're being, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, they're, they're complimentary members. When, when they get 18, they'll have to sign on that they're really on, but we count them until then. But uh, good for them. And of course, Hot Rod and Lori have uh, been with us for years and uh, serving in every capacity, but had never officially joined the church. As a boy, I tell you what, praise the Lord for these folks that say, we want to be a part. We want to be all in. So we're going to pray and dismiss. After we dismiss, y'all make your way up here, shake your hands, and welcome them to the family. Brother Ted, would you dismiss us this morning? Father God, what a privilege it is to see people come and join our church. Father, we pray for them, Father. We pray for ourselves that we might be the example for them, to show them how a church member is supposed to act. Father, we pray for them, Father, and the children that they have that they might come to know Jesus also, that we all might sit at that wedding feast and praise God that we were accounted worthy to be of Christ. Father, go with us as we leave the church today. Bring us back on the next appointed time. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.